Antonio almost got stuck and music as we know it today could have suffered for it greatly. Antonio loved music, but he couldn't play and he couldn't even sing. In fact, he felt so helpless that he couldn't even do these things that a friend came to Antonio and said, Antonio, you can't sing, but there are other ways to make music. In fact, he said to him, what matters is the song and the heart. And he looked at Antonio and said, you will build better than you can sing music. You can build the music. And that's all Antonio needed that day. A faithful friend, an honest friend that moved him from being stuck. And Antonio started making violins. In fact, Antonio Stradivarius made the greatest violins that even to this day will go on the market very rarely and sell between 15 to $20 million. But can you imagine if Antonio would have gotten stuck with, I'm a singer and missed this moment to make what is considered the greatest masterpiece of, of, of uh, stringed instruments, the Stradivarius violin. Thank God he made those violins. Thank God there was a faithful friend that Antonio was supposed to be building and not simply singing. In fact, it was Clayton Christensen's book, The Innovator's Dilemma, that really took me by surprise when he said that most of the successful companies, in fact, they say 90% of the successful companies today are ultimately doing something different than what they started to be. I thought about this church. I thought about the founder of this church, David Wilkerson, who in 1958, at 26 years old, looks at a Life magazine article and sees that there are seven gang members on trial for the, for, for, for the senseless beating of a handicapped boy in Central Park. David Wilkerson looked at that article, is what the cross on the switchblade tells us, and felt the leading of the Holy Spirit that he was to go to New York City and begin to go to that courtroom. And that's where it started. At least that's where he thought it was going to be. And when he came for those gangs and to really believe for God to work a miracle, God had a different gang and a different person in mind. And it was going to become something that David Wilkerson never thought about. Thank God he didn't get stuck to say, I was only going for the Life Magazine kids. But what happened was David Wilkerson started to listen to the Holy Spirit and what he thought was going to be seven kids in a courtroom was and in a, in a gang, it was going to be the Mau Mau's. And it wasn't going to be simply seven. It was going to be one special one that God was going to get a hold of named Nikki Cruz. And as a result of that, it would turn into a teen challenge center that would be all over the world. And thank God that the Holy Spirit began to broaden David Wilkerson that didn't get stuck simply on what was the cover of a Time Magazine article, but knew that it was supposed to even be larger than that. I was, I was reading the story about Bobby Gruenwald. Maybe you don't know that name, but maybe you use his device or his app. Bobby Gruenwald is the creator of the, the Bible app called the U version, which right now is at almost a half a billion downloads around the world on, on, on phone, on the, of, uh, digital devices. It's a miracle. This man who started off saying, I want people who use their, here, here's where it comes. I want people who use their laptops, their desktops to read the Bible. What a great thing. But thank God Bobby Grunewald didn't get stuck. And he said he almost did. 
He said he was wanting the Bible on laptops so people could read it and then began to see what was taking place was people weren't looking at their desktops. They were looking at their cell phones. He said at first he became angry and then realized, why don't I take it from the desktop and put it right on the home screen of phones that people could read the Bible. If they're not gonna read it on a computer, they're not gonna read it in a book, maybe they'll read it on their phones. And a half a billion people began now to download the Bible in all all over the world. I, I wanna talk to you today about something that God began to speak to my heart about, not getting stuck, stuck doing and being something that that maybe you never could have imagined you'd be be or something you're doing right now. This is this is about a critical timeline for all of our lives, not just for a person, but even for a church and a ministry. I want to talk to you about middle age and being stuck. Now bear with me for a second because I want to show you today in the scriptures a middle age miracle that the that the Holy Spirit decided that he was going to take a man in his middle age and give his 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 age and to see what the miracle was, that he was gonna be middle-aged and can't move. We'll get to that in a second, but I wanna show you how a 40-year-old got his movement back in the Bible. It's funny, many people define middle age as between the late 30s and even going towards the late 50s and possibly right at 60 years old. They, they, they say that middle age, they say, well, you know your middle age when it shows in your middle. I, and I can, I can verify that. I, I, I'm in that age range. In fact, I'm coming to the, the upper end of middle age. A few more years. And then I start something called uh, 65 and senior citizen. Now they say that between 60 and 65, that's like death Valley. You don't know what you are. You're no longer middle-aged, but you're no longer a senior citizen. That's what I'm getting close to. You know, it's crazy. I hear two things about when you hit that time of middle age and they say this, they say there's either insecurity or lack of movement. What, what, what do you mean, Pastor Tim? That insecurity, you hit what they call middle age hits midlife crisis. It's the insecurity of your age. It's this fear of crossing into old and they, they will find themselves reverting back. It's the old guy in a convertible sports car that they're not secure at their age. So they're trying to get young again. And they also say that the other danger of middle age is getting stuck in your ways. It happens when people get married older or get married even at middle age and simply their words are, this is who I am. This is what I've done all my life. This is the spot that it becomes for people, um, even a dangerous spot for, for even a marriage relationship. That as I get older, I get, I lose my mobility. And that's not true. Let me just pause for a second here. I wanna just tell you something. If you're getting married for companionship, then you do lose it. But when it's love, love moves. Love finds a way to not be stuck. That's what happens not only with a relationship with, with the one that you love and you're going to marry, but it happens even with the Lord. That when you're in love with Jesus, you're not stuck, but you want to move. If he moves, I want to move with him. I saw it happen in my relationship with Cindy, that the very things that she began to love, I began to love. Instead of going, I don't, I don't do dogs. And I, that was one of the things in our relationship. When she brought in a dog, I was going, I don't do dogs. You know, it's amazing today. 25 years later, we just bought a puppy. Why? Love moves. Love begins to see what's so important and what the other person loves and begins to move. See, middle age is, is when you hit that crisis, that critical time, that what they face is they want to go back in time 
or they want to freeze time. And this is where people can get stuck. It's a crossroad. Listen carefully because middle age is a critical time. It'll determine at the crossroad if you become wise counsel to the next generation coming up or you become the cranky old person that's repeating the same stories of what used to be done. Those that don't move and change literally become, they lose their voice to the next generation. Every single time that I sign a 260 journey book, I put a scripture in there that is a life verse for me. It's a reminder not to get stuck. It's a reminder that I don't I don't want to not be a voice to the next generation. It's the words that David did. It's David's it's David's life. It's David's timeline of life. All the way from young to old. I want to read it to you. This is the verse I'll write in every single book. It's Psalm 71, 17 through 18. And here's what David says. Oh God, you have taught me from my youth. Watch the timeline. And now presently, I still declare your wondrous deeds. And then here it comes. And we, even when I'm old and gray, that's crossing into the senior citizen. Oh God, do not forsake me. When, David, until I declare your strength to this generation, that means the one that's coming up, and your power to all who are to come. What David was saying is, I want to be a voice to the next generation. I don't want to be a cranky old man saying, this is the way I used to do it when I was a king. But he says, but when I'm old and gray, I want to be able to tell about the power of God, the strength of God to the generation that is to come. In the book of Acts, there is a middle age miracle in Acts. It's about how a man in his 40s got unstuck, a man who lost his movement and was sitting in front of the church. Boy, that's a picture for us today. A man who lost his movement, a 40-year-old man who's stuck in front of the church. He lost his voice, in fact, even. Not, not the voice that David had of talking about the strength and the power of God. He lost his voice. In fact, he only had one thing he would say to the people. He'd been saying the same thing for 40 years. Can I have a dollar? Can I have a dollar? Can I have a dollar? It was a man that was begging in Acts chapter three in front of the gate beautiful that one day was about to get unstuck by James and John. In fact, the Bible, for some reason, thinks it's important in Acts chapter four, because three and four is really the the complete story of this man, to tell you and me what his age was. Listen to this. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. I'm so glad the Bible told us. I'm so glad the Holy Spirit put that there. Remember, let me just remind you again, middle age is a crossroads for the, even for us and a relationship for the younger generation that's coming up, that either we have a voice to them or we become critical of them. I want to say that again, because this, this becomes a crossroad. I know for an individual, for me, my life, for even our church that's here, that we can either have a voice to the next generation or we become critical of them, critical and repetitive of Endless repetition of the same story over and over again instead of talking about, like David said, the strength and the power of God and encouraging them in that they will take the baton and go forward. Let's talk about this story, the Middle Age Miracle. It starts in Acts chapter 3. I am so grateful that Acts 3 is after Acts 2. I know that's not profound, but it is important. 
It's important because God, get this, would not let his church get stuck in an upper room. See, the middle-aged man was about to talk, needed someone to talk to him that were gonna come down from an upper room down to the bottom floor because that's where he was. He couldn't get up the steps, but he needed a church that would not get stuck in a meeting, but a church that would come down the steps. And thank God he wouldn't let his people, his disciples, those men and women in that upper room get stuck up there, but come down to minister to a man with lame, with, that was lame. Listen to it in Acts 3, verses 1 and 2. Now, Peter and John were going to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried. This is the 40-year-old, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, in order, here's his one line that he has, to beg alms of those who are entering the temple. I, I love this about Acts chapter three, that they didn't create simply more services in an upper room, but they brought what happened in the upper room down into the daily schedule and down to street level. I love the words of the great, the great Westminster pastor, G. Campbell Morgan, who said, if you cannot be a Christian where you are, you can't be a Christian anywhere because it's not place but it's grace, the grace of God. And when we understand that, when I understand that, we begin to realize that we don't get stuck in a place and in a building. Boy, if there's ever a time that we heard that challenge, it was during this time of the pandemic. God was, God was unstucking, if that's the word, the church to go, you can worship. We talked about that last week with everyone, everywhere, every day, that we can worship in the sanctuary or under the open expanse. If we could see the sky, we can worship. And in Acts 3, 1 and 2, two unstuck men were about to speak to a man that hasn't moved for 40 years. And that's what he's wanting to do. I believe God wants to speak to us personally. I've got, I believe God wants to speak to us as a church. Let me just say this for Times Square Church. As we're approaching middle age, in just a few months, this church will be 34 years old and God's wanting to make sure that we have movement to where the spirit is leading us to go. What, what did Peter and John see? What's in this story for us that God is challenging us, even for us as a church, for the church in moving forward? Number one, there was life without liberty. The man had legs, but no movement. How sad was that? He had a mechanism, but no power in the mechanism of those legs. He was, he was 40 years old, living near the church, but couldn't go forward. And I believe this is not just physical, but this could be spiritual. This could be mental. And that's a dangerous time for any of us in our Christian walk. An unwillingness to move and yet be at the church doors. An unwillingness to go forward, to have life, but no liberty. This is, is, is so important because it happens as we get older. It happens as a church gets older, that you have a man at the temple, at his post every single day, who has the same thing that he says every single day. And that's where we have to realize that the older we get, it's the challenge of losing mobility. The older a church gets, the older a Christian gets, we can lose mobility or even the desire to move as the Spirit of God is leading us and, and, and carrying us into a brand new season that we've got to be ready for, even as a church. I was reading the story of a, of a student graduating with his MDiv in, in, at, at, at a seminary. 
the, the, the utmost degree that did his seven to eight years of, of um, learning theology, learning Greek, and all he wanted to do was to preach. And the story that I was reading about that he was grumbling because he went to a church that hired him and here he is who could read the entire Greek New Testament and they asked him to make sure that the volunteers were showing up for the, for the children's church and to make sure that the youth pastor and the youth department was still together and he was managing instead of preaching. He wanted to, he wanted to, um, to, to exegete a passage of scripture, not look at a schedule of volunteers for the children's ministry. And he was grumbling to a friend about that and saying, like, this is not what I was meant to do. This, I, I don't do children. I don't do youth. I do Greek. I do preaching. I, I do I, I do the New Testament. And his friend looked at him and he said this. He says, you know, the world is a better place because Michelangelo didn't say, I don't do ceilings. You figure that one out. That Martin Luther, the reformer, didn't, didn't say, I only do pulpits. I don't do doors. The world is a better place, he told his friend, because the Oxford Don named John Wesley didn't say, I only do pulpits, but he says, I, I, or I don't do fields. Go from the beginning of the Bible, he said, and realize, thank God, over and over again, men and women had servant hearts, servant minds that wouldn't be stuck in what they thought it, everything was supposed to be. Moses didn't say, I don't do oceans. Noah didn't say, I don't do arcs. Joshua didn't say, I don't do big walls. David didn't say, I don't do giants. Thank God Paul didn't say, I don't do letters. And thank you, God, Jesus didn't say, I don't do crosses. Thank God for these men. Thank God for the example of people who didn't get stuck. You know, just as a side note, What's scary about this man is anywhere this middle-aged man goes, he has to be carried there. This middle-aged man goes nowhere on his own. That, that this becomes scary. It becomes scary because he, he was dealing with it physically. But if we have to deal with this spiritually, it gets really dangerous. Because this is sad when, a, when, when we won't go because of middle age, go on our own, but have to be moved, coerced, convinced, or even carried to that place that we don't get stuck going, this is the way it has to be. This is the way it goes. I want to see where God is leading us. I, you, you can depend upon this man. He is going to be at church. He's not leaving his post. He's familiar with the temple. He knows the names of the people, probably knows the names of the people that have given him the money every single day. He had one job. It was to beg for money, but he was stuck. Not just stuck physically, stuck mentally, stuck spiritually. And this is who I am is what he thought to be stuck even in your mind. We, we've seen that in the Olympics um, in, in Tokyo, Japan on, on this round. You have, you have, you have gold medalists, like, like one of the number one world tennis players, Naomi Osaka or Simone Biles, that, that if any part of their body would have been sick, we, nobody would have said anything. But when all of a sudden they started dealing with mind battles and the mental pressure of all this, they had to pull out of events, had to pull out of the Olympics. And all of a sudden they start to, you start to realize that sometimes getting stuck or being frozen is not even physical. It can even affect us internally. I was thinking of, I was thinking of a man that got stuck in a cave that was always listening to the voice of the Lord. And that was Elijah who went into and got stuck in depression in the book of first Kings. And I heard one person say it like this, that the opposite of depression is not happiness but it's purpose. The opposite of depression 
is not happiness, but it's purpose. See, when Elijah got depressed, when Elijah got stuck in a cave, a cave of depression, I heard somebody say it like this, that God began to say, you need to get sleep. Like even caring for his physical body, sleep and food, but you also need, this is important, an assignment. And that's where he was gonna begin to anoint and to, and to speak, you ready for this? To the next generation. It was a critical crossroads for Elijah that he was literally getting stuck in depression and God goes, you're stuck because you don't see what's ahead. You don't see the purpose and the assignment that I have for you, that the assignment was the next generation. I need you to be a voice to the up and coming prophet, a young man named Elisha, who's right now in a field plowing with some oxen. This is where God begins to break us free from, from this lack of mobility as a person, a, a man, a person, a woman or a man that loves God that has gotten stuck or a church that has done that. I, 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 I kept thinking through this. There's this one temple in Jerusalem. The same man has been there. He's been lame his entire life. I have to believe that this man saw the disciples walk by there before because they were going to the, to the temple at the hour of prayer. But why wasn't he healed before? I don't, I don't have an answer for this. Why was it? He had to have seen Jesus, I would assume, when Jesus would go to the temple. Why, why was it this time? I don't know, but I will say this. And that's number two, those lame legs needed eyes in order for those legs to walk. Let me say that again, because I want to explain this to you. Those lame legs needed eyes to see, eyes to see in order for those legs to walk. I love what Peter said. Listen to Peter's words. Peter, along with John, verse four, fixed his, fixed his gaze on him. And here are my word, three favorite words of the story. Look at us. And I kept thinking to myself, why these words? Why these words with a exclamation point? Was the man distracted? Was the man looking for the next person he can get the money from? I don't think that was it at all. I think Peter and John were saying something so significant. I think that they were saying to the man, when they use the words, look at us, I think they were saying, hey, layman, 40-year-old, middle-aged man, look at us. They were saying, if Jesus can change us, a fisherman, a denier, if Jesus can change us, he can do us. I think the look at us was, if he can come in and work in our lives, he can work inside of you. I love that. Look at us. If God can do it here, he can do it in your life. It's the power of a, it's the power of a testimony of a life that's been touched by God. That sometimes the next step in people getting healed, in people coming to God, is literally, can they look at us? Can they see the life of Jesus inside of us? See, I believe this. People will watch your life before they'll listen to your words. That even before Peter and John began to say, rise up and, or, or walk, stand up and walk, they had to say, look at us. Look at our lives. There's no way our lives could have been turned around. But look at us. If he can change us, he can change you. I heard it say this before, that there is a fifth gospel. Now, don't get nervous. Four are inspired by the Holy Spirit, but the fifth one is important. It was the late evangelist, Gypsy Smith, who said it like this. There are five gospels. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Here it comes. And the Christian. That's the look at us. But most people never read the first four. That's powerful. What he was saying was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are is what writ, what's written in the Bible. But people will look at us first. They're looking at us. See, lamps um, don't talk, but they shine. And that's what he was saying to us. I was reading the story of a nursery in the church where one of the children's workers came in and heard um, a little boy and a little girl yelling at each other in the nursery. And when the nursery worker walked in and began to inquire, what are you, what are you quarreling about? It was a five and a six-year-old. And they looked at the nursery worker at the church and said, we're not quarreling. We're just playing daddy and mommy. Where do you think they learned that? That's what they see. Some years ago, in my teenage years, I remember somebody giving me a poem about how important the look at us is. It's about how important the fifth gospel is, our lives that people are looking at. Here's what the poem, just a simple poem, and it says these words. It says, we're the only Bible the careless world will read. We are the sinner's gospel, our lives. We're the scoffer's creed. We are the Lord's last message given in deed and word. And then this challenge, what if the type is crooked? What if the print is blurred? He's speaking about the life. I don't want my life blurring God, God's love for people. I want them, I want to be able to look at people and say, look at us. What's incredible is that once that man looked at them, they were able to speak words of life, bring the name of Jesus, which we're going to get to in a second, to that situation and watch the lame man begin to jump up. You know what was amazing is what happened after this man started moving. You ready for this? After this man started moving, he looked at them. He believed in Jesus. He, he leaped to his feet. And we read in Acts chapter four that during this story, you ready for this? 5,000 people got saved right after this miracle. Almost double what took place on the day of Pentecost. Listen to it, Acts 4.4. But many of those who heard the message that Peter and John were talking about, the number of men came to be about 5,000, which means changed people. Peter, John, a 40-year-old middle-aged man, changed people, I'm telling you, will change people. And the critics have nothing to say about a changed life as they're looking there. They're silenced by someone's life that has changed. See, when there's no results in your life, we resort to rhetoric. When a church doesn't see people getting born again, when a church doesn't see people going from no movement to movement, from being stuck to being unstuck, then we rely upon rhetoric. Instead of letting lives speak, letting the people's lives say that, that literally lives can begin to speak. I believe that the disciples who said, look at us, and then all of a sudden the man started moving. And then I really believe this. A lame man was leaping and then 5,000 people looked at him and 5,000 people began to believe. This is so powerful. Let me, let me close with this because he was supposed to be leaping and praising. That's what the Bible says he started to do, not sitting and begging. He was supposed to be leaping and praising, not sitting and begging. And the only way to change that, the only way to bring movement, the only way to unstuck yourself 
is through one name. It's bringing the name of Jesus into your life, into your situation, into your world. Listen to what it says. Peter said, I don't possess silver and gold. Money's not gonna get you out of this. You've been in the same position for 40 years. What, what person put money in that little cup that got you walking and gave movement? None of it. But what I do have to give to you, and here it comes, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk, get movement, get up. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. Hallelujah. They brought the name of Jesus into that situation. The name of Jesus into that man that lost his mobility. The name of Jesus to that man that had life without liberty. The name of Jesus to a man that was looking at people, looking at people that had means to give to him, but wasn't look, looking at people to say, if, they got, if God changed them, he can change my life. Peter and John brings the name of Jesus into this situation. I, I, I'm just amazed. Let me just say this. How, how can you preach a sermon without Jesus? How can you, how can a pulpit from Times Square Church to around the world, how can it ever be a pulpit that if the name of Jesus is not brought into the situation? He is the subject. He is the center. He is the introduction. He is the conclusion. He is the all in all. It has to start with Jesus. And when Jesus is brought into it, it has a ripple effect. Leaping and praising happens to the lame man. Then people that watch the lame man get filled with wonder. Look at this. It says, with a leap, he stood up and began to walk. Enters the temple, who has never entered it before. He only sat outside. Now the man who couldn't move is walking into the temple, walking, leaping, hallelujah, and praising God. And then this, it says this, and all the people who probably gave him money saw him walking and praising God. And they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate for almost 40 years to beg alms. And the Bible says they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. I personally believe that the people who were filled with wonder and amazement in verse 10 were part of the 5,000 of Acts 4.4. I believe the ones that saw a man that they only seen sitting all their life, now leaping and praising um, and walking, now began the one to embrace the message of the gospel. I love the picture that you see here in Acts 3, 8, and 10. It says, with a, with a, um, with, with a, with a leap, he stood up and began to walk. Can you imagine that the disciples, James, um, John and Peter are walking with this man and maybe holding his hand because he's never walked before. And can you imagine? It's kind of like holding the hand of a kid who just won't stop jumping, who just won't stop being mobile. I, I've done this with my own children going like, stop, stop, just walk. I could just see them holding the man's hand. Because the Bible tells it that they, that they grasped him, that they grasped him in verse seven, seizing him by the right, by the right hand and raised him up. I wonder if they were still holding his hand and the man is jumping up and down as the people are watching them walk into the temple. The beggar, the, the layman is now leaping. Somehow Peter and John saw a leaper and a praiser and a walker in a man that was sitting there for 40 years. Somehow they looked into that man and said, if he did it for us, he could do it for them. That the name of Jesus can take lame people, immobile people. He can take, he can take depressed people, people filled with anxiety, people who are stuck in bitterness, stuck 
in, in anger, stuck in, in depression, stuck from, from literally just fear of moving forward. And God can look at those people and say, there's something bigger in you. There's a praiser in you. There's someone who's going to walk again inside of you. Inside of you, there's a leaper. In the late 15th century, let me take you back to Italy. As we talked about Antonio Stradivarius. In the late 15th century, the Florentine sculptor Agostino D'Antonio began to work on a huge block of marble with the view of producing a spectacular sculpture. And after a few attempts to make it into something, he gave up on it as worthless. The block of marble was so badly figured, he threw it into a scrapyard and it sat there, history says, for 40 years. Then came along one named Michelangelo and took interest in it. And it says that he saw beyond the ugly, disfigured block that other artists say there's nothing there. It's disfigured. It's too much work. And as a result, he began to work. And the final outcome of a piece of block of marble that was left in a dump would result in something called the masterpiece David that Michelangelo began to chisel away at which is widely recognized as one of the most outstanding artistic achievements of all time. I believe God is able to look at blocks of marble like us and realize hidden in there is a David. Hidden in there is a masterpiece. Hidden in there is the image of something that God has created. He doesn't have to wait he doesn't have to wait on it he, or, or, or look at it going like everybody else threw it away. And he doesn't have to listen to their opinions. He doesn't have to listen to their conclusions. God finds what we're supposed to be and sees it despite the hardness. God sees a treasure inside. And by the end of this service, I believe you're going to realize that he can, the name of Jesus, can look through the hardness, look through what people have trashed, whether a name, a reputation, whether your life feels like trash, that the name they brought into the sickness of this man, the name they brought into the, the, the lack of mobility, the name that they brought into lameness, those men were ordered not to preach in the next chapter after this miracle. Remember what Peter said? Here it is, 3.6. He says, I don't have silver and gold. That didn't do anything for you. But in the name of Jesus, the Nazarene, Walk. And when the whole city was in an uproar, 5,000 people are saved as a result of this. The authorities, the religious people say this. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach. Here it comes. At all in the name of Jesus. The name that made that man walk. The name that was put into the situation. But Peter and John, I love this, answered and said to them, what is right in the sight of God to heed you rather than to God, you be the judge. And here's what they said. We cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Thank God. It was the great Baptist preacher, Evie Hill, who pastored a church in Los Angeles in the 80s and the 90s. I was reading one of his sermons that Evie Hill says, talked about in his sermon, In the Name of Jesus. He talked about when they said, we cannot stop speaking this name. And he said this, he said, when Peter stood up and said, we can't obey you, we have a condition that prohibits us from obeying your orders. This is Dr. E.V. Hill. 
He says the condition is called the I can't help it condition. We couldn't stop speaking of Jesus, he says, if we wanted to. We couldn't stop in spite of your threats. We're not spectators, but participators. This is not something we turn on or turn off. And basically they said this, we were with him when he turned water to wine. He yelled into a tomb, Lazarus, come forth. We were there when he gave sight to the blind. Don't tell us to shut up. We've got evidence. And on that evidence, we just can't help it. We have to speak his name. I believe this. The church today needs a big helping of, I can't help it. I have to talk about Jesus. The name that raised that man, the authorities were saying, you can't say it. And I'm telling you, thank God this will be a pulpit that will always bring in the name of Jesus. That will say there's only one name in heaven and earth by which men can be saved. That's at the name of Jesus. And today, I'm telling you, wherever you're at, wherever, whatever condition you're in, God is looking at you today to say, let me come into that. I can take, I can take a disfigured piece of marble and I can turn it into a masterpiece. I can take a disfigured life and I can change it today. I can take a lame man and I can look at him and say, there's a leaper, a praiser, there's a walker in there. And I can look at you today and say, you may be stuck in bitterness. You may be stuck in fear. You may be stuck in anxiety. You may be stuck in religion. You may be stuck in a denomination. You may be stuck in a way that just goes, I can't, I'm not moving anymore. You may be stuck, and I'm telling you today that the name of Jesus can set people free today. It's, it's, it's having a relationship with them. It's starting with a brand new relationship with them today. And that relationship is called being born again. This is where, this is where Jesus comes into your life and changes it from the inside out. It's, it's the relationship that Jesus describes as being born again. What he was saying was this, no matter what condition you're in, just as you had a physical birth, you need a spiritual birth. The words born again are not our words, it's the words of Jesus from John 3, 3 and John 3, 5. When Jesus begins to speak, he says to a man who got stuck in religion, his name was Nicodemus. It's a conversation that he had with a religious leader that wanted to be unstuck. He started to realize my religion, Judaism, my, 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 my roots, I'm stuck. I need something. I'm, I, do everything, I do everything they ask me to do, but I need to be unstuck. And Jesus looked at that man and said, you are stuck in religion, but today you can be born again. Just as you were physically born, today you could be spiritually born. And I'm saying that to you. And Jesus said that the person, that unless a man is born again, he will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Today, this could be the day for your spiritual birth. Pastor Tim, how does that happen? It's as simple, we always say, as ABC, each of those letters corresponding to a word that will help us to understand it better. It's A, admitting that we're a sinner, realizing that all of us have a broken condition. It's called sin. Sin immobilizes us. We can never be what we, what we were meant to be. We can never be what we want to be without God in our life. And really it's us admitting that sin has stopped us, has hit the brakes on our life. Every one of us has that condition. All of us have it and we can't get out of it on our own. There's not a promise or a program. There's not a priest or a pastor that can fix us. I'm broken on the inside and the diagnosis is sin. And I have to admit that I'm a sinner and that's the only thing that can set me free today. It's the only thing that can come 
and Jesus, the name of Jesus and break me free that I could start walking to the place that I need to go. I could be what God has intended me to be. And you know what God's intention was? You know what God saw in every one of our lives that is covered by sin? God looked at every single one of us and say, I see my son, I see my daughter in there. What you don't see, God sees it. I'm telling you today, God sees it. Through that disfigured piece of marble, God looks deeper in and said, there's a masterpiece in there. Well, Pastor Tim, how does that happen? That's the B word, that's believing. Believing that God sent his son, Jesus, to fix our sinful condition because we couldn't fix ourselves. If we could fix ourselves, then why would God have to send his own son? If God said, hey, you got to chisel your own way out of this. You got to just pick yourself up and start doing it. You need more discipline. You need to be more religious. That's, that's what people try to do. You, you ask them, are you walking with God? They'll, they'll come up with everything they've done. I'm a good person. I've tried not to hurt anybody. I've tried, and we always seem to fail. It is God. It is God believing in him that begins to get us up, walking, leaping, and praising again. It is Jesus is becoming his death that he became my sin bearer. It was his death that he died, that I should have died. That's what's amazing. He lived a life I couldn't even live and then gave me a reward that I didn't deserve, forgiveness in heaven. Man, that's the greatest movement, that when we die here, we, we move to eternal life, and that can happen today. But there's one more word, let's see, confessing him as Lord. That's Romans 10, 9, and 10. To confess Jesus as Lord is to say, you're in charge of my life now. Chisel, chisel where you want to. Get the masterpiece. Find the masterpiece in there. I want to be according to Ephesians 2, 9, and 10. I want, I'm your workmanship. I'm, I'm underneath all the rocky places. And to become born again doesn't mean we become perfect. To become born again means we start the journey of chiseling. You're in charge now, God. Chisel away what you need to chisel away. Do whatever you need to do today. I, I, I am believing today that this could be the very day that you start that journey with God. But Pastor Tim, I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together. Christianity is not coming to a place. The church has been closed. It's coming to a person. It's coming to the, to the, to the master sculptor. It's coming to one that is going to take you by the hand, seize you by the right hand, and say, walk again, walk again. If you're, if you're listening to that, I don't care who you are, what you've done, where you've been, today is a day to walk again. Today is a day to have a relationship with God. Today is the day for a spiritual birth to be born again. And wherever you are, if you say, Pastor Tim, I want to start that journey. I have been stuck. For the Christians, I just challenge you right now. Don't, don't get stuck going like, we, we, we do this every single Sunday. You have no idea who God is about to grab by the hand and say, now it's time to walk. I'm believing that there have been people that have been so close to the temple doors that today they walk through those doors. The leaping man, the praising man, that can happen today. God wants you to walk straight in where you couldn't go before, to walk in places you've never been able to walk before. Today is that day. I want you to pray a prayer with me. I want you to start a journey with me today to, to walk with God. Let him take you by the hand and start that journey. If you want to say, God, I want you to come into my life. I want the name of Jesus to come in and change me from the inside out. I want you to pray a prayer with me, wherever you're at. If you could pray it out loud, maybe pray it as a family. Maybe you're a student, a father, a single parent. Today is that day to walk again. I want you to pray this with me. Come on, say this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, 
my shame, my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, now say it with me. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. And be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.